Hello, and thank you for tuning in to New Glasgow Christian Church. My name is Stephen Weatherby, and I'm the pastor here at NGCC, a small rural church with a big heart located in central Prince Edward Island, Canada. We're so glad that you could join us. Well, we're, oh, I don't know, three, four weeks in now. This is the, the third core, core 52, and we have the introduction, so four weeks. I uh, hope you're all enjoying it so far, uh, enjoying the chapters in the book. So far, everything has been good. Uh, we've talked about creation. Everything was good. We talked about what creation means and why it matters and why it's important what we believe. We've talked about our identity, that we're created in God's image, that our identity is something that we are given and that it's not something we earn or define. So far, these are all good things. But you all know the story of the Bible, uh, and so you probably know that it can't be good forever. Uh, today is Core 3, which deals with the fall of humanity and the consequences of sin. Genesis 3.6 is our core verse this week, and it's, you, you had it pretty easy so far, the nice short memory verses. Uh, this one is not as short. <laughs> Genesis 3, 6 says, When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. So it's a bit of a longer one this week. Now you might be wondering, why is it important to talk about the fall? Uh, most of you probably learned about it in Sunday school or at camp. Uh, it seems like it's a story from a long time ago. We all know it. It's old news, basic stuff. Well, the truth is the fall is not just a historical event. It's a continuing reality that we experience every day. And now that we understand that we are made in God's image, and we know why we were made in God's image, the purpose we can start to see and understand why Adam and Eve's disobedience is about more than just personal separation from God. Because we are created to bring glory to God, to make His glory present. But when sin entered into creation, it struck against that purpose and that image. And this wasn't just limited to the fall. It wasn't just limited to that moment. It continues today. We see the effects of sin in our own lives and in the brokenness of the world around us. And yet, despite the darkness of the fall, there is still hope. In fact, the fall sets the stage for the story of redemption and restoration that continues throughout the whole rest of the Bible through Jesus Christ. So as we explore the fall this morning, core three, my hope is that we will all gain a deeper understanding of our need for a savior. And also a greater appreciation for the grace and mercy that God has for each and every one of us. So if you're able, I'll ask you to please stand with me uh, as I read Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the fruit of any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat from. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it, 
If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like him, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cold evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. And the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Can, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. And the Lord God asked the woman, What have you done? You may be seated. Alright, so up until this point, this moment in the Bible, there was no sin in the world. God had made everything, and he made it good. There was no sin. Everything he created was good. The very first thing that is referred to as not good in the Bible is the fact that the man was alone. In Genesis 2.18 it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Of course, the response to that is to create Eve from Adam's rib. But other than that, other than this moment, there is nothing that is not good. Everything is described as good. And the thing is, even in that moment, God made a solution. But in this perfection, in this uh, goodness of everything, there was still a warning. One warning. God gave a clear instruction to Adam in chapter 2, verses 16 to 17. The Lord God warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. So everything's good, everything's in perfect harmony with God, and everything is working according to its intended design and identity. We don't know how long things stayed like this. It could have been a couple of days. It could have been a thousand years. We don't know. Uh, personally, I don't think it was a terribly long time, uh, but I have nothing really to base that on other than my own opinion. Uh, it's purely speculation. What we do know is that temptation entered into the equation by the serpent. Genesis 3, 4 to 5, the serpent replied, You won't die if you eat the fruit. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like him, knowing both good and evil. So that's the temptation. That everything's good, everything's perfect, but there's this temptation that they could be better or greater. They could be like God. They could know good and evil. It entered as a challenge to God's word. And that's always what temptation does. The serpent twisted God's words. You won't die, you'll become like him. So that, that twisting, that slight offness of the truth, the half-truth, is the root of all sin, the, the twisting of God's words. 
The tree is called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In God's goodness, he tells us what is right and wrong. So before the fall, everything's good, we are good, we're made in God's image, and God defines for us what is right and wrong. Because he knows what will ultimately result in good. He has that right because he's God. He's perfect in holiness. He knows everything. And he has all power. He exists both inside time and outside of time. And therefore he knows much better what is good and what is evil. But that knowledge is what the serpent tempts Eve with. He says, God knows that when you eat it, you will become like God. You will know what is good and evil. So this is sin distilled into one sentence, brought down uh, into one um, idea. God tells us how we should live, but we don't trust that he has our best interest in mind. So we decide what is right and wrong for ourselves, and then we act on it. <coughs> the fundamental human sin is to make our own moral choices apart from God. Now, in Genesis 3.6, we know and see that Adam and Eve gave into this temptation. It says, The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So he, she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. So they made a choice for themselves to decide what was right and wrong on their own. That is why they fell. They chose to separate themselves from God and his definition of right and wrong. And maybe even for a few minutes they thought they got away with it. You know, they, they ate the fruit, their eyes were open, they didn't die. At least not in that moment. And that's the problem, that's that half-truth. You won't die. Now, Eve and Adam may not have fallen into a heap on the ground the second that they touched the fruit. But from that moment, both their lives and our lives and the trajectory of the entire world was set in a direction that would ultimately lead to death for them and us. But listen, many people will look back and blame Adam and Eve for our current state. And I understand why. We blame them for our separation from God. They did make that initial decision. But what you need to understand is that you would have done the same thing. You would have fallen too. You would have sinned. And if you want proof, I would say, look at your life. When I look at my life, I know I would have done the same thing. I would have sinned. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. When Paul says that, we don't deserve death because of what Adam and Eve did because of their sin. We deserve death because we have freely made the same choice to decide what is right and wrong for ourselves and act on it. We have all sinned on our own. I did that, and you did that, we all did that. All of us experienced temptation and we all fell. And so again and again, each one of us reenacts this fundamental sin in our own lives. Again and again we each choose to eat the fruit and decide that God doesn't have my best interests in mind. I know better. 
And again and again, each one of us tries to define what is right and wrong for ourselves. That is the fall. It's, it's an event that happened, yes, but it's also an ongoing event. We're all continually falling. And as a result, that image we talked about last week has been mangled and, and bent out of shape and warped. Like Adam and Eve, we know good and evil. The fruit was eaten. We know right and wrong. And that sounds like a good thing. But the problem is that we are deceived. When we violate God's moral standard, we learn that God is still good. He doesn't change. He's still who he was and still is that person. But we've changed. And we know it. Like God, we now possess moral knowledge. We know right and wrong because of the fruit. But ironically, that doesn't make us like God and his goodness, like the serpent promised. It also doesn't enable us to restore our own goodness. In fact, what it does is leave us naked, ashamed, and helpless in our sin. Our knowledge of good and evil, what it does for us is expose our moral failings and the shame of our ongoing wickedness. That is what it does. Ephesians 2, 1 says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. That is where the fall leaves us. The effects of sin are death-dealing and far-reaching. And so, I want to take a few minutes to talk about the effects of sin and the effects of the fall. So we can kind of see that it's, it's more than just about us and our decisions. But first of all, sin is personal. We do have to acknowledge that. The personal separation that we have each experienced from God at some point in our lives is one problem caused by sin. Because each and every one of us have been tempted and each and every one of us have sinned. Each and every one of us has experienced the consequences of sin in our lives. Before Jesus, you were dead in your sin. Before Jesus, you personally were separated from God. So sin is personal. But second, sin is also social. Because my sin problem is not just my separation from a holy God. My sin is also your problem. It's kind of obvious um, how our sin is our problem in big ways, with sins like murder or adultery. It's easy and obvious to see that my sin can quickly become your problem, uh, it, that my sin personally can harm other people or our society collectively as a whole. But private sins can do this too, sins like jealousy and pride. Because if I'm too proud or jealous of someone or harboring resentment or anger towards someone, that limits my willingness or ability to serve God and others or to love that neighbor as myself or to treat that person the way that I would want to be treated. And so my sin then becomes their problem. So sin is personal, sin is social, sin is also cosmic. In response to Adam's sin, God announces that the very ground has been cursed and impacted. In Genesis 3, verses 17 to 19, it says, The ground is cursed because of you. All of your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. 
And Paul in Romans 8.20 says, Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. All creation. So when I say that sin is cosmic, everything is under a curse because of our sin. Everything has been corrupted. Everything. And because sin is personal, social, and cosmic, it means that its effects are systemic. Its consequences are universal within every system. And that result, the result of this sin, personally, socially, and on a cosmic scale, is that there is a lack or loss of glory. Romans 1, to 23 says, Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. In other words, going back to last week, we talked about how we're made in God's image and we are meant to bring glory to God. So when we sin, we voluntarily exchange or diminish our image-bearing capabilities when we turn from God to other things. We might not make physical statues to worship or make sacrifices like people used to, but our idols are as prevalent in society today as they were then. Idols like money, sex, and power. When we worship idols rather than God, we are swapping an encounter with God's glory for something that cannot fill the void. And when we make this exchange, and to be clear, all of us have made this exchange, including myself, all of us, at some point we've made this exchange, we no longer fully carry God's image to each other and to creation, but instead we become like the idols that we worship. Psalm 115, 5-8 says, They have mouths but cannot speak and eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, and mouths but cannot breathe. They have hands but cannot feel, and feet but cannot walk, and throats but cannot make a sound. And those who make idols are just like them, as are all who trust in them. When we worship idols and make idols rather than worship God, when we choose sin over holiness, when we choose sin over other people, people in creation fail to receive God's glory through us. We're dishonoring God and diminishing His glory and rebelling against the image we're created in. That is the opposite of our purpose and identity. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So some translations have changed that a little bit to say we all fall short of God's holy standard. And that is a true statement, but it's not what Paul says. He says we all fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short of his glory. So this verse, it's about a personal failing, but it's also about more than that. We need the restoration that comes only through Jesus so that we can once again be able to fulfill our purpose and identity. It's a restoration of our image-bearing capability. Now, to be clear, we never lose the image we're created in. That is given to us. But we lose our... Ability is not the right word. 
When we choose sin over God, we are no longer bearing that image to others. And that is what we are supposed to do. So as we conclude this morning, I do want to remind you that even though we are focusing on sin and the fall this week, God knew that we would fall. This isn't a typical sermon for me. It's very hard. It's, it's negative because we're talking about the fall and sin. And so it's, it's not really something I do often. It's, it's kind of a hard one for me to preach. Uh, and so I want to conclude by bringing us around and reminding you that God did know we would fall and he knew that we would need saving and restoration. Genesis 3.15 he says to Eve, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. And this is, in most Christian uh, scholarly areas, this is uh, viewed as prophetically looking towards Jesus. Even in the moment that humanity fell, God promised us salvation. He promised that he would save us. He had a plan to save us from our own misguided self-rule from the moment that we fell. 2 Peter 1.3 says, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Now again, while this is not probably one of the most uplifting of the themes we will be studying over this next year, it's perhaps one of the most fundamental and important for us to understand. Because to understand and truly know Jesus, we first need to understand why we need a Savior. So it's fundamental, it's something we have to know. But as we leave here this morning, I also want you to leave with a little bit of hope. I want you to know that even before the fall, there was a plan of restoration firmly in place to bring us back into relationship with God. So let's close with prayer and give thanks to God for the grace and mercy and love that he has shown to each and every one of us. Thanks for tuning in. We hope that this week's teaching was a blessing and an encouragement to you. If you live in the New Glasgow area, we would love for you to come and join us for our Sunday gathering. For information on service times, location, and more, check out our website at ngcc.ca. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening and have a great week.